Well, hey everyone. Welcome to episode 141 of F-Stop, Collaborate, and Listen. This week's episode features a landscape photographer and software developer from Slovenia, Luka Asenko. Luka is the creator of the new photo location app, PhotoHound. I had a really good time talking to Luca about his new application, PhotoHound, and and some of the challenges and ethical dilemmas that face such an application. And Luca did a really good job answering my questions, and I'm really excited uh, for his application and what uh, potential it has, not only for uh, location sharing, but also for photo for educating people on um, some of the ethical concerns around photo location sharing. So. Think you'll like that. We also talked uh, about his upbringing as the son of a published naturalist and the influence that had on his photography and a lot more. Well, before we get started, I did want to let you know about an exciting online course being offered by my friend and former podcast guest Shane McDermott. You might remember Shane from episode 108, where he shared his thoughts on visual centricity awareness, and constant creative flow, and how these approaches to photography can change how you interact with the natural world through your photographs. Shane has created a six-week online course all about post-processing your images in a way that ensures that the final result reflects your actual experience in the field. Shane calls this course Transforming Your Passion into Pixels, The Art of Enlightened Image Editing. In his course, Shane talks about how you can take creative control, learn to make the look and feel of every finished image as unique and vibrant as the moment you captured it. So, if you're feeling intimidated or overwhelmed with post-processing, or frustrated with randomly adjusting sliders in hopes of creating beautiful images, or uninspired with your old tried-and-true methods, Break free of your set slider moves and bring your creative vision alive like never before. As an exclusive offer to podcast listeners, if you register this week, you'll receive a 25% off his six-week online course. Just use the code FSTOP25 at the time of purchase to receive your discount. Just check out the liner notes for the link to the course or visit ShaneMcDermottPhotography.com. Okay, let's get to the show. Well, Luca Senko, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Well, Matt, thanks for inviting. Uh, I listened to your podcast before, and when I got your email for this invitation, I was like, wow, that's really nice. <laughs> cool, man. Yeah, I actually uh, heard you on uh, Brian Matisha's podcast. Uh, I think it's uh, the No Name Photo Show. Yes. And um, and um, I really um, enjoyed that conversation and thought that, we could um, maybe take that as a base and kind of maybe take it a step further. So really excited to, to talk to you. Yeah, Brian's podcast was kind of a fun. We did it in Slovenia, in Ljubljana, my hometown. Nice. And it was total improvisation. You know, it was uh, evening, you know, in winter, the nights are long. So we said, let's do a podcast. Very nice. Uh, that's always, it's always so much better to do them in person, but unfortunately... Um, I've only been to Europe twice, so 
the third time is always the easiest, right? But there you go. Everything comes in threes, I guess. Um, yeah. So I guess for people who maybe aren't familiar with your work and who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. I mentioned I'm uh, from Slovenia, from Ljubljana, which is the capital of this small country. And just to place Slovenia in Europe, it's between Italy, Austria and Croatia. Most of people know these three countries. It's kind of a good location here in Europe. And for me as a landscape and nature photographer, I think it's perfect because I have Dolomites in my reach. I have the Adriatic coast in my reach, you know, and Central Europe. So everything is within a few hours drive. I'm a full-time professional photographer, if I can say so, because uh, my profession or my job is uh, actually leading photo workshops. Mm -hmm. This is my full-time uh, job, and I've been doing this since 2009. Wow. I've been one of the first in this region, um, the first one in Slovenia, and up to now I'm still the, the only one doing this full-time in this region. That's awesome. And besides, yeah, besides photography, uh, I like nature, I like outdoors, mountains mostly, rivers, I really enjoy these two, uh, habitats or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, traveling, I mean, this is how I also started with photography, you know, when you go to a new place, you pick up a camera because you want to show this experience uh, to your family, to your friends, and this is how it started, like many other photographers, I think. Yeah, so is that um, is that kind of how you got into landscape photography? It was just trying to document your trips and things like that? Uh, that was maybe more like travel photography, you know, the mix of people, street photography, landmarks, places, but also landscapes. And la landscapes became more important to me later when I got more in more deeply into photography you know when you start thinking about what you're taking photos and what means to you so as a nature guy i found the most satisfaction in landscape photography and wildlife but slovenia is not really a wildlife photography destination so i don't do this much uh so landscapes mainly nice i um I understand that uh, your dad is a, a naturalist and he's written like over 40 books. And I'm super curious about what it was like growing up um, with a father who's a naturalist and um, super curious how that influenced uh, you as a photographer. You know, my dad was a photographer ever since I uh, remember. He actually started with his practica cameras long before I was born. So photography was always part of our family life. Uh, he had his practical cameras, then Nikon F401, I think, and so on. And I don't think he really influenced me in photography, but in nature for sure, you know, because we spent every moment we could in the nature. Mm -hmm. We were kayaking on the rivers. We were hiking in the woods, in the mountains. We spent summer in the seaside. You know, Croatia has very natural coast still. Mm -hmm. So you could have your own private coast. And we were exploring and fishing as kids, you know. So this was probably the biggest influence uh, of my dad. And uh, still now he actually writes books. He just finished one uh, about gardening in a nature-friendly way, you know, in a sustainable way. Mm -hmm instead of using pesticides and poisons and this artificial stuff to make your garden beautiful, 
he actually teaches people how to attract nature to the garden, like birds, toads, hedgehogs, that these animals will take care of the balance in your garden, you know? Mm -hmm. And he's really successful. He's been featured on national TV many times. As you mentioned, he wrote a lot of books about these topics. Uh, he's also very, very good uh, birder. He knows all the birds, all the sounds, all the scientific names for the birds. I mean, he just hears a bird and he will say, oh, this is this bird. And he will <laughs> tell you the English Slovenian name and the scientific name. He's incredible in this way. I just wish I could be as good, but probably later when I have more time in my life, when <laughs> my kids are grown up or something. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Um, have you found um, kind of growing up, you know, taking a lot of trips into nature and experiencing nature? Uh, I'm curious kind of how that experience growing up, how you feel like that has perhaps influenced what types of things you're attracted to in photography or the types of photos you take in photography or things like that? Yeah, for sure. I prefer nature than anything else, you know, and I actually look, I'm seeking for uh, places that are intact, which is in Europe really difficult to find. You know, in US, you have these big national parks far away from the cities. And if you're willing to do some walking like an hour or so, you're out of these paths, you know, tourist paths, and you have nature, wilderness. We don't have this in Europe, so you actually have to really look hard and maybe focus on smaller scenes sometimes. Because mm -hmm. even mountains, Dolomites, for example, this is a good uh, good example that nature is there, is really beautiful, everything. There is wildlife, like more than some other places in Europe, but also people are there. You know, it's very busy. It's very touristy in summer, in winter. You have chairlifts, gondolas hiking trails, mountain huts everywhere. It's hard to get a photo of nature without any human built structures, mm. you know? So maybe this is something that kind of uh, distracts me and I'm looking for shots without this. Mm. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's something we kind of take for granted here in the United States, especially in the West, because like you said, we can pretty quickly you know, with not a ton of effort, if you want to get into an area that's, you know, there's, you can't even see a building or a car or evidence of human, human impact. It's, it's, it's definitely possible. So that would be, that would definitely be a challenge. <laughs> yeah. And I think in America, you consider actually you treat national parks a bit differently than here in Europe, because most of national parks here, they are kind of a coexistence of nature and people. Mm -hmm. You know, you have people living in national parks, people grazing cows in national parks. You have all these hiking trails and mountain huts and ski resorts in national parks, mm -hmm. which would be outrageous in U.S. in most places, I believe, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit different situation. And that's because people are present here for like thousands and thousands of years you know uh that makes a difference i guess yeah no doubt <laughs> and, yeah but on the other hand you know this coexistence of people and nature also took care of some different habitats you know you have these mountain pastures that take care of environment because if there was no cows and people every year there 
the forest would grow up and a lot of mountain flowers would go extinct, you know, mm. and some bird species would have problems finding food and habitats or some butterflies or some insects, you know. So that's actually something I learned from my dad. Interesting. And I'm talking about this traditional way of grazing cows and agriculture, not this industrial way that you can see everywhere nowadays, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So one of the things that I was really interested in talking to you about um, that uh, you kind of touched on in your conversation on Brian Matisha's podcast was kind of this uh, this kind of flip side of the coin uh, of what we're seeing out there in terms of everyone kind of being negative about, um, you know, photographers damaging locations and, and hearing stories about people doing really stupid and disrespectful things in nature. And, and, and the flip side of that, that you, that you touched on is kind of, there's some positive stories that we often don't hear about, um, especially as it relates to photographers, uh, making a difference in nature. And I was curious if you would kind of touch on, um, what some of those stories are and kind of what that even looks like. Yeah, sure. Actually, thanks to Brian, I started to think about this. And when we are discussing this topic, we were just, we, we realized that everybody's complaining and just showing negative cases, what photography is doing nowadays. And from my experience, I also saw a lot of positive stuff, you know, mm -hmm. but considering photographers are responsible and don't do stupid things, right? So one of the cases here in my home country, Slovenia, is that actually photography brought more attention to the country mm. and the tourism boomed in a positive way, you know. Uh, because, for example, the average stay of foreign visitors of Slovenia is less than three nights. Mm -hmm. So that's actually very short. And if you want to see the country, you need more than a week, you know. And people just rush through the country. So they go Venice, Slovenia, Croatia, Hungary, Vienna, you know, they fly out. And this is the typical tourist, you know. Mm -hmm. But photographers who come to this place, to Slovenia, they actually stay longer. They use private accommodation, which is close to location. So local people get some, can make a living. And also they stay longer. They get to know the country better. They can appreciate it more you know mm. and this is all positive i mean this is a difference and doing my photo workshops i can guarantee you that most people who come to slovenia they would never experience it in such a positive way that if they were just regular tourists yeah i'm curious uh if the locals there that have maybe been there for a long time do they do they share that kind of enthusiasm and positivity in terms of um, you know, the increased visitation from photographers and, and the impact on the economy and things of that nature? Well, in majority of cases, yes. But of course, there are also exceptions, as you <laughs> probably know, right? Sure. Uh, I mean, there are places that get tramped over by irresponsible people who come there for a shot. Like, it's really obvious now in social media, you know, this backlash. Uh, but they're also really, really positive places because, for example, I try to bring my groups to places where most of tourists don't go. 
So we go to the northeast part of Slovenia where the wine region is and we photograph vineyards and we get invited by locals into their wine cellars, mm. you know, and we show them the pictures and, oh, wow, so beautiful. And a lot of the times these people, they will print the photos and send to them. Oh, nice. And yeah, I realized, I mean, that actually people are proud of their place, you know, there. And if they see people photographing their place, that also foreigners come there and appreciate this place, they'll, go, they'll be very proud, you know. So these are some positive sides. And, but it's not all, you know. Um, there's uh, in Bosnia, that was, I think, last year. Yes, last year, 2018. I was traveling to the central Bosnia and I was looking for these waterfalls. There is a set of like six or seven cascades on one really, really remote uh, mountain brook, you know, in the middle of the forest. And what's going on in the Balkans right now is that money or these big companies, they're building these power plants, these micro power plants, mm. and they're actually ruining all the rivers and everything. And in this case, these waterfalls, actually, if there was no photographers taking nice photos of these waterfalls, there would be a power plant already there. But because people realize how beautiful this place is, they said, no, we want to protect it. We don't want to have a power plant here. We want to enjoy nature and keep these waterfalls here, you know, for our children. So actually, because local people protested because of photography, they kind of preserve nature in this case. Mm. That's very specific uh, example, but it's hap it's happening, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I've I've heard other people kind of make arguments about that in terms of some of the places here in the United States that um, there's a there's a place in Utah near the uh, town called Hanksville that the BLM just opened it up to um, ATVs and off-road vehicles. And, and there was a pretty big uh, outcry from photographers who didn't want to see the, that place damaged. And I've heard a lot of people talk about, well, you know, if, if people were more forward about, you know, sh showcasing some of these places and showing how beautiful they are, maybe there would be more people that would, that would want to protect them from those types of intrusions. So I, I kind of see the, it's, it's not an easy kind of black and white thing that like, well, we just shouldn't share locations at all. But at the same time, we, if we don't share locations, <laughs> no one's going to know those places exist and they're not going to be protected. So it, it's, it's a very challenging conundrum. Yeah, I'm not smart enough to offer like 100% <laughs> solution here, you know, but uh, if as long as we are discussing this and, uh, you know, we spread the message, I think we are doing positive thing here. No, I definitely agree. I, well, I, I mean, I think maybe that's a pretty great segue to talk about. I mean, you said you're not smart enough, but I think you, you might be on to, to an interesting idea in the application that you uh, have developed and are kind of relaunching, uh, which is called PhotoHound. And I'm curious if you want to talk a little bit about what PhotoHound is and kind of, you know, what you're, what you're hoping it will become. Yeah, sure. I would love to talk about it. Uh, I'm really proud of on what we are doing. And um, just shortly to explain what PhotoHound is, um, we actually in 2015 already started with a photo app 
for photographers, which was called Snap Guides, which we already discontinued. And the ev- evolution of that is PhotoHound. And the idea is to offer curated location guides for photographers who want to visit places they don't know or to find new places in the area where they live or where they're based. And uh, the big difference from all the other uh, location guides or whatever, or apps or platforms, including Instagram, is that this is curated, Hmm. right? So we actually uh, scout places or our contributors who add spots now, uh, which we actually now open to community contributions and uh, these are places that are described how to gather when to go there what to photograph what to be aware of you know which includes responsible photography as well we want to help photographers to find places to shoot and okay people will say you're doing it badly you know you're showing people locations more people will go there they will destroy the places you know like everybody's saying nowadays uh, but there are some arguments against that And one is, um, which was actually, I heard it first from the Minister for Tourism in New Zealand. And he actually said, you know, this viewpoint above this canyon that everybody goes there and there's actually a line of people waiting to get this Instagram shot. (laughs) He said, I wish these people would know other places to go to make photos so they would spread around, not just go to flock to this one place and just ruin the experience for everybody and ruin the place, you know. Mm-hmm. He actually said it. And that was something I couldn't put in words myself before I heard it from him. And this is actually spreading people around, showing them alternatives, places that are okay to be photographed, that are, will not get ruined Mm-hmm. if too many people is it you know so a lot of times people will go to this one place because they don't know anything else you know they found a picture on instagram and wow i like it and they will go there that's it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but if they knew you know alternatives they would they could go there and if they knew that this place is so overcrowded they maybe would think twice so what we are trying to do one thing is to show people beautiful places to photograph, to give them ideas where they could go and do photography without causing any harm. At the same time, this is a good opportunity to educate people. Mm. You know, we shouldn't be just saying, don't share locations. Uh, You shouldn't go there and take the photos there because you're going to ruin the place. We should actually educate people in a positive way. So when you what, what kind of education are you um, you and I guess the the people that are curating the content and I guess soon it'll be community members as well like what kind of education are you providing and I'm really curious kind of what expectation you're going to be placing on the community that uses the app Well to be honest we are still thinking how what is the best way to implement this mm-hmm. and we'll probably be doing testing and everything but the main idea is to follow the path of responsible photography which means that all the principle principles of leave no trace and nature first and everything applies here when we are talking about nature photography but also communities people you know places even in the cities you know there's some code of responsibility how you should photograph 
you shouldn't just climb fences, go into illegal places, you know, bump into the hotel and go to the rooftop, you know, and fall down, you know. <laughs> I mean, people are doing that. <laughs> uh, and also places uh, like private lands, uh, which are not, not like fragile or endangered because of nature, but it's a private property and you're kind of disturbing local communities. I mean, this is also something we need to talk about and tell people how to do it properly or when not, not to do it, you know. And above all, the principle of no photo is worth harming the place or people around, that's the one that should be always in front of, in our minds, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how are we going to do that? Uh, first of all, every spot that gets added to PhotoHound is curated by us before we publish it to public. Mm. This is number one thing. So if we immediately see, okay, this is not good, this shouldn't be there, we delete it. And we explain to the contributor why and what can be contributed. And the second is actually will be having a series of blog posts, how to photograph places, what are the alternatives, you know, if you offer, like I said, if you offer people alternative to, I don't know, some famous spot here in Slovenia, let me give an example. There is this hilltop church that everybody wants to photograph. And if people don't respect uh, the private land there, the farmers will get get upset, which happens a few times, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so if you tell people, okay, you can do this in responsible way, like park over there, don't walk into the meadow, don't leave any trash in the forest because it's a private land and you shouldn't do this in the first place. Or you could actually go to this place or that place, which is never crowded and people will be happy to see you there and they will chat with you about the place and so on. So uh, these are some ways how to do it. And also will be uh, every spot in PhotoHound will have like alert or uh, some message box about how to photograph responsibly and we'll give tips to people and we'll send newsletters out and so on. I'm not going to lie. When I first started hearing you talk about it on Brian's podcast, I was like, oh no, not an application where people can just find any place on earth. And then you started talking about, you know, that it's going to be come with some education and like, and I like the fact that you're kind of recognizing that, you know, we're never going to stop people from wanting to know about places that they can take pictures. So why not harness that and, and, you know, you know, let, let the horse ride in the direction it wants to ride, but then provide some education and, and some tips on how to do it in a responsible way. I think that makes uh, a lot of sense. I, I'm curious. So you've got, what about locations that you or your curation team aren't familiar with? Like maybe there's a remote location in the United States or in South America. Like how, how are you going to curate some of those locations without firsthand knowledge? That's a good question. And we, had a lot of discussions how to do this in the best way and uh, there are actually two solutions we'll have one is uh, every spot will have a report button so if this location turns out to be problematic people can report it and give us a reason why you know just explain okay too many people are coming to this place it shouldn't be 
so many people there it's a fragile place it's uh i don't know wildflowers blooming and everybody's trampling them okay let's take this spot off we mm. can do that you know and the second is we'll have local curators we'll invite users uh to become our ambassadors of certain region or a place they know well mm-hmm. and they can create places from that region spots mm. and uh, i didn't mention that uh, in photohound we'll be giving back certain percent of subscription revenue uh we said 25 percent will go back to the contributors who are invited into our contributor team Mm -hmm. and uh this money will also go for curators so if people will be curating they will be earning money as well that's that's a good idea yeah and we we decided to set five percent money that we make back to environment and we'll be supporting some uh charity organizations or um, non-profit nature uh, organizations or so on Uh, we are still we are already discussing with some organizations that we want to support and once we start uh, charging subscriptions for photohound this will be part of the business model yeah when are you launching well, we had a soft beta launch already a couple of months ago. Okay. Because we had to shut down SnapGuides because of the recent iOS operating system upgrade. Uh, when the um, version 13 came out, the app, the old apps stopped working or actually it was crashing. So we just decided, okay, let's not spend more time and money on the old app because we will be shutting it off soon anyway. So we just opened PhotoHound. And we really got great feedback so far. Uh, actually, people are really enjoying it and they're adding some really, really nice content. And uh, we'll keep it in beta and free of charge until we have mobile version ready. Mm. And that's going to happen in spring next year. Mm. That's the plan. So uh, we don't really, we are bootstrapping, so we don't have resources, money to promote it really in a big way or anything, or to hire more developers to help us to speed up the process. So it's all bootstrapping. We are a team of three. Uh, Jules, she's from London. Matthew, he's uh, Welsh. And myself. And that's our core team and all the contributors that we got on board. It's more than 100 people already contributing. Cool. Obviously, you guys don't want to be the the photo hound police. Um, I I'm really curious. Have you thought about? Um, and I, I don't I I don't know how this would exactly work, but um, I'm envisioning a situation where a particularly zealous nature photographer, and trust me, there's a lot of a lot of people that are pretty zealous in terms of wanting to protect locations and things of that nature. Let's say that a, a pretty zealous photographer um, is out shooting and they notice that someone is using your app to, that found that location and they are not um, following the guidelines that you set forth in terms of responsible nature photography. Have you guys thought about that particular challenge and how you would in- talk, you know, what would you say to other users that might encounter people using the app in an irresponsible way? I think the best way to deal with this is discussion. 
you know we cannot be a police like you say and uh, that doesn't really help does doesn't resonate with people and usually we'll get just the opposite effect right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i think there will always be people who abuse the system who abuse the tools who abuse the trust you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you cannot just exclude these people because you never know who they are in the first place and second you cannot do that <laughs> uh, but what you can do is just make positive examples you can always talk about it you can maybe uh, ban some people from the platform if they really turn out to be problematic um, and just actually expose wrong behavior you know if there was no people who all these zealot people who are saying you know if they didn't start to talk about it maybe it would be too late for many places so i'm not against that i'm just saying that maybe it's not the right way to do it mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. no i agree it, yeah i mean nobody likes this authoritarian way you know and <laughs> we have no rights to preach to people in such a way you know like we are saints you are evil whatever you know we should just discuss with people and uh, i mean i'm really very optimistic person and i always expect the best from people sometimes to my own detriment but most of the time it's benefiting me mm -hmm. and uh, i really believe that the positive way is the way like you said uh, people will always find place if they want to photograph it they will always find it using Instagram, Google, whatever. It's just going to take them more time and they will not get, be exposed to a positive message. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And once we get people's attention on PhotoHound, when they're looking for a place, we can actually introduce them with some new ideas about photography, how to do it in the right way. And, you know, actually it's, a, it's not an easy topic, but... Okay, let me try to explain. The main reason why people are doing these negative things to environment and nature and places is not photography, actually. It's this instant gratification from social media, getting likes. Oh, if I take the picture like this guy did, oh, he got 5,000 likes, oh, I need to go to shoot there. You know, that's the main reason why people are irresponsible. If they, they were really photographers by their hearts, you know, that they would appreciate the place they're photographing, they wouldn't do that. Mm. You know, so actually, if you tell people, what is your really reason? Why are you photographing? And they will think about it, you know, they maybe will say, see, okay, this is not really worth for just an Instagram shot to do this, you know? Yeah, no, I've, I've found the... That that question often reveals all kinds of interesting um, answers from people, you know, in terms of like why why are you doing that? Because I think if people stop for a minute to to answer that question for themselves, it often can lead them to maybe change change course and maybe not do do the act that is going to be detrimental. Um, I think unfortunately uh, we're not all wired to think that way, so it's it's challenging. <laughs> Yeah, we are not wired, but we can learn, you know. I think this time we are living now is actually a transition in a way because technology changed the way we think and behave. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. so quickly that we didn't adjust, you know. So some places suffer because of it now. And we just need to figure a way how to balance this as a society. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the there is going to be better times for nature and photography to coexist. Um, I want to uh, kind of paint a hypothetical situation um, in relation to PhotoHound and kind of just see what your thoughts are and, and see if maybe you've thought about this at all. So again, this is hypothetical. So let's say that there exists a, uh, a high alpine lake here. Let's, I'm just going to use my home here. So here in Colorado, that's, I don't know, let's say it's like a three mile hike. Um, it's pretty accessible to most people with average hiking ability, but it's pretty unknown. Let's say it's just people haven't really discovered it yet. It's not like a popular Instagram location. Um, let's say that uh, someone such as myself, who is knowledgeable of said location, um, uses your app and curates, curates the location and shares it and gets published on your app. Um, let's say five years down the road, that particular location just gets inundated with uh, visitors and those visitors begin to, you know, not maybe follow the same ethic as perhaps you and I would in terms of, you know, maybe they're defecating on the shore of the lake, they're camping on the shore of the lake, they're just, the place is obviously getting heavily impacted, wildflowers are no longer able to grow there, etc., have you kind of thought through that the possibility of that happening and um, would you feel some, some guilt or culpability about that? It's not an easy way to answer this. Uh, I thought about it. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I think first of all, we would take off the spot immediately when we would see that this is happening. Uh, because for example, most of nature places we can go to photograph without worrying, we were going to destroy them. Right. Sure. Most of the places are like that. And there are exceptions, of course. And in Slovenia already, I didn't include a lot of places where I think if too many people came there, it would get damaged or whatever. Or, I mean, it's not just wildflowers and defecating and camping and making campfires, but also like a nesting season for some birds. And even mm-hmm. if a place is problematic for only for a month in a year or so, I wouldn't include it. Mm, okay. And uh, this is why we will have this report uh, functionality in our uh, platform so people can tell us immediately, okay, this this was a beautiful alpine lake two years ago and now more people are coming here and we kind of noticed that they're leaving trash and there's some campfire leftovers and you know it shouldn't be really part of the platform okay fair enough let's take it out you know yeah, yeah. i mean it seems like um I, I like i like your answer it seems like the integrity of kind of your your application in terms of its adherence to some of those principles kind of relies fairly heavily upon who is curating uh, the submissions. And in that vein, I'm curious if you've developed curation standards for the people that have that responsibility. Yes, we actually have guidelines for contributors, not curators yet, because we don't have any outside curators at the moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everything is curated by us at the moment. 
but we'll have to do this very soon. But we have this contribution guidelines where we explain to people how technically they can add spots and how to describe them, uh, but also what spots they should not contribute mm. and why. So we have this responsible photography page where we send to every contributor to read through and uh, all our partner pros that we accepted into our partnership scheme. So they share the revenue with us. Uh, they know about this. And we also have a private Facebook group where we share these discussions. Hmm. So we will do our best. We will make mistakes for sure. I'm, I mean, we're small team. We're humans and uh, <laughs> but we have the best intentions and we'll we listen to people who tell us what we are doing wrong and what we should do nice no i think that's i like it man i think i'm actually like i said before i was really skeptical when i first heard about the concept um but the way you've explained it um i'm actually excited for it because i think it's a huge opportunity to educate people that are wanting to find locations to photograph um, and you're going to do it in a way in, in that kind of excludes places that perhaps can't handle um, a lot of visitation. And so I think, and just, I mean, just in that alone, like explaining to people, this is not a good place that you should add as a contribution. And here's why I think that's really a great education tool in itself. So um, I, I'm really I like I love your idea, man. I think it's really cool. <laughs> Thank you. I hope we are on the right path, and uh, well, the time will show, I guess, right? Sure. Uh, it's our intention to make a positive difference, and I think if we get attention of people looking for locations, we can actually deliver the message more easily. If we just post on social media, if we just talk about and rant about it this is going to be overheard but if you already have people looking for places and you can deliver a message with it i think this is really a positive way mm. no I, I and you know in, just one more thing in photo hound majority of locations they are not really nature you know they're like cities they're like countryside roadside shots mm -hmm. you know they're like um you know, it's not really problematic. Most of the spots will never be problematic. Mm. Most of the locations we share are totally okay, you know, and they should be shared. I really don't like when people are hiding locations, but not because they would be fragile, but because they want to have advantage or whatever from the others. It's kind of a, this secrecy never resonated with me. And <laughs> when I was doing photo, I mean, I'm doing photo workshops, I'm revealing locations to people for 10 years now or more you know and i never had problems sharing locations with people mm -hmm. and a lot of people will get better shots from this location than i did maybe because they are better photographers maybe because they just got lucky with conditions i don't really care you know it's photography you know this is something that you do for yourself not it's not a pissing contest <laughs> I mean, really? <laughs> no, I definitely. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting though. Um, as you probably know, the one of the principles of Nature First is about location sharing. And um, when we met as a organizing group to develop those principles, there was actually 
quite a lot of discussion about that particular principle. And there were there were some individuals on the organizing team that felt strongly that we should say never share a location. And um, there was a few others of us that, you know, we believe that, you know, yes, it's important to think about uh, sharing a location before you share it um, and think about what the ramifications of that could be. But to just simply say never share, I think that just didn't sit right. It doesn't sit right with me. Um, and I, th- I don't think it sits right with most photographers. Um, I think from my perspective, it's just important to kind of just think about the r- possible ramifications of sharing before doing so. And I, and I liken that to also, I hate to use the word vet or vetting, but like consider who you're sharing with because, you know, it could be a really sensitive location, but if it's somebody you know super well and you trust them implicitly, that might be okay. But if it's someone you'd never talked to or met before, maybe not. So I think there's lots of different ways to think about that particular problem. It is. And I agree actually with people who say not sharing uh, in certain cases, you know, some, some places, some locations should never be shared period, but you could say, okay, I'm not telling you about this location because of this and this, but you can go here and there and there and there instead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, this, this is the right way, you know? I mean, if you just say, no, I'm not sharing locations, that sounds kind of a smart ass to me, you know? It's like, okay, I know I, the place, I photographed it and I can photograph it, but you shouldn't do that to you because whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, you should always explain why you don't want to share a location mm-hmm. and okay this time i cannot share this location and like you said to somebody you know okay i can tell for example for slovenia i added 300 locations in photo hunt and i didn't add 50 or so that i think they shouldn't be shared mm-hmm. to the public because i don't know who's gonna go there if these people are okay or not, and if the people know how to behave on a place like that or not, but I would share it to somebody who I trust. You know, that's totally human. I mean, that's that makes sense. I mean, that's logical, right? I mean, I agree. It's not like all or nothing. Yeah, I think that I think the challenge is is that um, inevitably, if a place is if a location is shared with enough people, it completely changes your experience of that place when you go there. Um, And I think that's, you know, people that have been around in landscape photography longer than maybe the last 10 years have probably, you know, they've seen it change quite significantly where you used to be able to go to um, even non-iconic locations and you'd be by yourself and now you you can almost expect you're going to run into several people and that definitely for me changes kind of how I experience a place so I think for a lot of people they just don't want to see every place they like to photograph turn into a place where it's constantly inundated with people yeah I mean this is totally human thing right if you see an image thousand times already it kind of loses interest this is how we are wired you know we we need change we need novelty this is how we were created by evolution we cannot absolutely but you can work against that you can find your own challenges in a location that maybe it's over photographed 
you can make a new project you can work on your creativity more you know it's i mean i come to the same locations 15 20 times a year with my workshops you know with and it's my workshops and i photograph them in different conditions in the best possible light in different seasons you know totally different atmospheres and i still find joy photographing these places because i find challenges for myself you know like <laughs> get a different image this time what did i miss all those times before you know so there are ways that you can still find joy and uh, kind of an interest in photographing these places who are photographed so often and then there's another thought that i'm kind of a provoking people sometimes what if every single location worth photographing in the world was explained and revealed somewhere what would people do because most of people go to places they know or they heard of but what if they knew every possible location in the world what would happen mm. i think people would spread out i don't know i i think it's an interesting question that you pose and it's one that i've thought thought about some as well in terms of you know you you have those kind of we like to call them sacrificial lambs you know like those locations that everyone has their bucket list and they want to go shoot and things like that but uh i don't know if if um i don't know i i i think you have a valid question um i'm not exactly sure if people would change their behavior if they would spread out more or not i think I think often what's driving people to go to those those places is because of the sheer saturation of those images online now and them wanting to get a similar shot of that exact scene for themselves. Um, and I, I could be wrong, but I don't necessarily know that showing people 25 more uh, options in the same area is going to shift it significantly, but it might. I don't know. It's an interesting question. <laughs> it would maybe nudge it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely think it. it, it yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> um, I think. Well, at least in my case, in my case, I would go to less populated, popular places. Yeah, no, I'm just because I'm kind of a nature guy. I want to go away from people by default you know right. i don't go to concerts or big events i go to somewhere peace and quiet mm -hmm. so i would appreciate alternatives myself and I, I know a lot of people who would be like that oh for sure i think it's interesting because i think most of the quote-unquote iconic locations that are you know just completely saturated with visitors are pretty easy to get to for the most part um and i think in some ways, that's kind of a natural deterrent for a lot of people is how difficult it is to get to the location to take the photograph. Although there's obviously some exceptions to that. Uh, but I think by and large, I mean, you take uh, the Maroon Bells, for example, here in Colorado. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people a day in the, in the fall go drive up that road and photograph that lake. But if you hike, if you hike a quarter mile up the trail... You can find an equally beautiful lake with a similar view, and it's almost never there's never people there. So, and it's and I don't think it's because people don't know about it. It's just not registering as kind of that iconic shot. But I don't. I could be wrong. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it's 
like you said, as long as it's really easily accessible, it's going to be a lot of people there. Right. Yeah, but then as soon as you need to put a little bit effort in, then you will probably shed 90% of visitors off. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure about that. Uh, and I'm really against making it convenient, you know, right. to places. And I also think that maybe it's going to sound really bad, but not everybody should go to every location. You know, I'm not a technical climber, so I'm not going to climb Mount Everest. I don't, I mean, this is my limitation, you know, and I'm going to go to other places where I can go. I don't want to have a gondola built to Mount Everest just to go there. I think this is wrong, you know, that's really extreme example, but this is how I think, you Mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. some places should be appreciated and you should put some effort into appreciate Mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if you've um, seen or heard about, uh, there's a documentary film that came out about a year ago from National Geographic called Into the Canyon. Um, And it's about the Grand Canyon. And, um, and I just watched it a couple of weeks ago and it was really interesting. Um, they, they talked a lot about, uh, their, their whole goal was to, to hike the entire distance of the Grand Canyon, which like very, very few people have ever done before. And, um, they were highlighting, um, how there's a private kind of tourism company that's trying to convince, the Navajo nation to build a tram uh, that would take people from the top of the Canyon to the river floor um, to a place that very few people actually see every year, because the only way you can see it is either by rafting it, um, which they only allow like 10,000 people a year to do or 20,000, I think. um, Or like, like I said, hiking it, which very few people have done. And it was just interesting to hear their arguments as a a private company that, you know, also has to gain a lot of money from the enterprise. But their kind of argument was that, you know, everyone should should have the the right and ability to see this for themselves. And 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 I just I'm kind of with you, like I found myself shaking my head the whole time, like, no, I I don't agree. Like, um, not every place needs to be seen by every person. And then, of course. They, right after that, they interviewed one of the park rangers for uh, the Grand Canyon, and he used the same exact metaphor that you did. Like, not everyone needs to see the top of Mount Everest. And I, it's an interesting <clears throat> argument, though, because, I mean, I guess I can appreciate that. I'm not, I'm not personally physically disabled, but I think if I was, I would want to see some of these places. So I don't know. It's, it's an interesting argument. Yes. I mean, okay, it might sound really, really selfish in a way because i can walk and i can go to a lot of places and somebody with disability like you say cannot but maybe this person wishes even more than i do you know it would mean to this person more than to me to go to a place why wouldn't this person be allowed to go there but on the other hand it's too many of us on this planet to go to every place everybody to go to every place right and there are limitations and some people argue how to limit this with entrance fee with what entrance fee is even less fair you know if you put i don't mm-hmm. know for example 
Mount, to climb Mount Everest, you need to be a rich person, at least for Slovenians. I don't know, for American standards, probably it's more accessible. But for us, I mean, you would need to sacrifice your home, you know? To, yeah, I was going to say, not for me. Like, I don't have that kind of yeah. money. <laughs> I mean, it's for privileged people only, you know? And mm-hmm. most of these privileged people, they go up there to boast about it, to brag about climbing Mount Everest. Right. I mean, this is shit. Yeah. You know, people who appreciate the mountain, who would actually climb it for their own passion and, you know, some deeper meaning, you know, they should do it. Not just some privileged people with pockets full of money that they would be carried up there, literally. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's bad, right? And then... It's actually in climbing, it's maybe similar to photography because Mount Everest is littered. It's kind of a lost its appeal to the real climbers right? because of tourists going up there. And the real climbers, now they go to Annapurna or some other mountains in Himalayas, right, mm-hmm. instead. So it's maybe it's a good kind of a, it's similar problem in a way, you know. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we have that problem here in Colorado with people climbing the 14ers. Um, all the people that really enjoy, you know, solitude in the high peaks of Colorado, they just climb the 13ers instead because <laughs> it's, right. you know, it's just as challenging. They're like 300 feet shorter and it's, you know, you don't run into people. So it's a bunch, it's a much better experience. Um and what I've found is even with the existence of photo of um, trail guides and websites dedicated to climbing 13ers, there's still not a ton of people doing it because, you know, it's not as quote unquote popular. It's not as it's it's, it's, it's an interesting metaphor. I, I, I don't know. Um, you've, you've, you've definitely caused me to think about it. <laughs> Yeah, I should think about it more as well. <laughs> it's actually this conversation we are having, it's kind of opening new questions to me as well. So it's it's really good. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I wanted to uh, give you a little bit of time to talk about some of the tours that you do in Slovenia and the Balkans and the Dolomites. Um, I guess, first of all, you know, tell, tell people a little bit about kind of what that's like. And um, one of the... Main questions I really wanted to hear from you about is having, since you've been doing it since 2009, I'm curious kind of what you see as what photographers expect from their, from an experience like that. Well, yeah, I've been doing this for, now it's going to be 11th season now. That's, I'm getting old. (laughs) (laughs) I used to be the youngest person in every workshop ever. It's not the case anymore. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Uh, when I started, I was really the first person here, and it was really, really few people actually coming for photography to Slovenia or Croatia. So it was a hard time for me to actually convince people that it's worth coming over here. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was a different kind of problem because nowadays the market is so saturated with everybody doing workshops everywhere mm-hmm. that it's hard to stand out, you know. But when I started, it was just the opposite. You had to explain people, why would you come here for photography, you know, to these places? Nobody knew about Slovenia. 
some people knew about Croatia, so that actually helped me because people wanted to photograph Croatia and Plitvice Lakes National Park, Dubrovnik, which is now super famous because of Game of Thrones. <laughs> so w- once I got people over here, I could show them the photos of Slovenia, tell them about it, why should they come, and they were always like, wow, I'm coming next time. And uh, what? How, how should I explain why Slovenia is so enticing for photographers, because we don't have Grand Canyon, we don't have mountains like Dolomites or waterfalls like Iceland or Northland Lights and stuff. But I think it's the whole package of the country, you know. It's the the little things, the little beauties, uh, these little churches on top of the hills, small lakes, small, small islands, and this really, some people say, Bucolic, bucolic, or how you pronounce it, uh, places, you know, and the villages and friendliness of people, and just, you know, it's kind of a combination of everything. And uh, nowadays it's really different because I live really close to Dolomites, and I think this is one of the hottest destinations in Europe among photographers at this moment. I think it's surpassing north of Europe, Iceland and Lofotens. Uh, in Norway, it's really, really popular. I mean, okay, maybe in US you see this a little bit differently, but European photographers, they're mm-hmm. like in Dolomites all the time, you know. So to me, this is like three hours drive from my home. So I can be there for a weekend if I want to, just drive there, sit in a car, go there for a night or two. Um, but I prefer to go for longer time and really spend some time on locations. One of the biggest differences that I notice when I talk to American photographers in Europe is that locations are actually very close to us here. You know, you don't need to fly to another state and then rent a four-wheel drive car and drive five hours and then hike for another five hours to get to this location we can actually check webcams what's gonna be for tonight oh some interesting clouds oh it's a storm brewing i can see it from the west right so you sit in a car in one hour you're in a location so it's really really different you know and uh, you have all this wilderness and you need to camp out to get the best conditions possible in Europe, in Dolomites, for example, or in Austria or Switzerland or Slovenia as well, you have mountain huts, Mm -hmm. like two hours apart walking. So you you don't need to carry camping gear. You don't need to be experienced in this wilderness survival. You just go from mountain hut to mountain hut, you know. So it's much more convenient in many ways, but it's also challenging because of it because you have to have keep other photographers in mind okay maybe mount hut's gonna be full of tourists maybe there's gonna be too many people around and you cannot get the shot on the lake you know because it's so many people paddling on the boats and you know it's different challenges yeah it's funny it's not it's not unheard of here in in the united states people drive like 1600 miles just to get a couple of photos <laughs> it's like people do some pretty crazy stuff for a photograph here <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i mean i don't but uh at least not like that i've i've seen some people recently doing some crazy stuff like they'll be they'll be in 
Southeast Utah one day and then the next day they'll be in central Wyoming, which, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big drive. <laughs> so, um, and a lot of, uh, greenhouse gas i would add but anyway <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> that's another thing <laughs> right <laughs> um well so you've been doing the photo tour since 2009 i'm curious you know there's like a lot of a lot more visitors um with huge explosion of tourism i'm curious how has the the countries that you live near and the areas that you photograph how have they changed since then well there is a change for sure because more people travel travel and uh, in europe it's mostly european tourists this is majority especially in summer when there are school vacations right so you have half of the europe migrating to the south that's the general direction and mm-hmm. we happen to be in the south right so slovenia is very transit country you have traffic which is impossible in summer all the weekends you know because the Central Europe drives to Croatia to the coast and they have to drive through Slovenia. So this is the number one issue (laughs) I have with the tourist season. (laughs) And then Croatia, I think in the last two or three years, it really exploded with tourism. And I think we have to thank Game of Thrones to that Mm, mm -hmm. because everybody wants to travel to King's Landing, unfortunately. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... You probably saw the series, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, so you can imagine how popular they are and how many people kind of uh, travel to these places nowadays. And what I realized doing workshops is actually that recently I started to book everything, even restaurants, which I never had to do before, you know. Mm even for six people, because I tend to keep my groups up to six, just one van and keep it small and flexible. Uh, even for six people, you have to book ahead a restaurant in the season nowadays. It was wow. never like that. You could just walk in, hello, can we have a dinner? You know, it was super simple. Now this is not possible. Or actually you, you are kind of a asking for trouble if you don't book right you're gonna get hungry clients and <laughs> that's <laughs> never a good thing. so this is one thing and the other is prices are going up mm. you know accommodation restaurants this is the most obvious uh also our entrance fees are going up because of it and some places are kind of uh, more difficult to shoot like plitvica lakes in croatia if you heard about this place mm-hmm this is uh, a nature place, one of my favorite in Europe and uh, really full of waterfalls and lakes. So uh, this place is actually very small and you have boardwalks across the lake so people can get closer to the waterfalls and these cascades and so on. So these board- boardwalks are impossible to set up a tripod nowadays because it's endless, wow. uninterrupted groups, uh, lines of people just walking through with their iPads and iPhones mostly, and it's all shaking, so you cannot photograph. So the only thing you can do as a photographer is to go before sunrise in in and stay longer, and then you don't go out in a convenient way with the boat, but you have to walk an hour around. So Mm -hmm. these are the things you need to adjust, you know, to get the shots for the group. Yeah. Uh, But other than that, 
I mean, okay, it's more people. You would prefer maybe some locations to be less, but like we were saying, you cannot prohibit people going to places. So we actually photograph people around us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what can you do, Just right? <laughs> keep it calm and wait for your time, for your moment. And I mean, okay, I, sometimes I actually change places, locations, and... Uh, People usually appreciate if I take them to a less known place and they can have their peace and quiet there and photograph. I think uh, I try to convey this to people on my workshops that photography is not about bagging the classic shots, but it's about your own creativity. And if I take people to places they didn't know that exist and tell them, okay, let's do some photography here in this place. And I explain them uh, about what they can expect in the location and what type of photography they can do and learn new things. You know, they, be, they will appreciate this more than if I just take them to the busy places with these classic shots, you know? Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Uh, I think that's a, I think that's a great way to learn and to, um, I mean, that's, that's one of the things I do is I try to avoid looking at pictures of locations before I go um, so that I don't have any preconceived ideas. Um, I think that helps a lot in terms of challenging yourself creatively, but also not setting yourself up to have an expectation that's going to, you're going to be let down by. So I think it's, I think it's a great approach. Yes, it is. I mean, okay. It's nothing wrong with take, looking pictures of the place before you go there. It's uh a natural thing to do but if you want a challenge of course go there blindly you know and just whatever shows up in front of you whatever inspires you i mean mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This, this is kind of a exploration that you can do and it's free of charge and it's really simple to do and it's just don't have expectations yeah i love you that. know if you get a shot great if you don't get a shot it's still great you yeah. know i mean one one of my biggest passions is mountain photography. It happens that you go to the mountain, you spend two days and you don't even take the camera out because the conditions are just not right. You know, it's maybe the weather so bad that you, you would ruin your gear or is it too windy to photograph or is, or even be out there or is it you're snowed in or whatever happens, it can happen. And when I get back without any photos, or maybe I was taking photos and nothing worked out for me. I mean, maybe I didn't get my click in my head, you know, just too lazy to think or whatever. When you get back home, I mean, I mean I'm not disappointed. I'm, glad, I'm like, okay, it would be nice to have some images, but this was like incredible today's in mm -hmm, nature, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Well, we're kind of winding down here. What? Uh, who would you recommend uh, for the podcast? Who would you think that our listeners would want to hear from? Yeah, I had to think about this, and uh, I would actually recommend two photographers. Uh, one is Guy Edwards. He's English photographer, one of my favorite nature and landscape photographers. He's really super creative and he would travel to places I know and he would always get unexpected photographs, <laughs> you know, like you were saying, you know, creative, being creative. 
he's really amazing. I really enjoy his uh, photography. Uh, in a way, we are competitors because we both do these shorter workshops in Europe, and he's also traveling to Slovenia regularly with his own groups. Mm. But we're kind of a colleagues, and we appreciate each other, and we always greet each other and shake hands and talk when we meet on location with our groups. Mm, that's great. Uh, and I would really, really recommend him because he's one of the most inspiring and the most creative nature photographers I know. That's awesome. And the other, the other would be actually a totally different style of photography. Photographer, and this is Jeremy Woodhouse. He's a more or less travel photographer. Uh, I do workshops with him as well. And uh, he's probably one of the best travel portrait photographers I know. Mm. His portraits are amazing. You know, he would get to the most uninspiring places and he would get these people shots that you just go like, wow. <laughs> and he's also really good with street photography, with uh, composition. He's really strong there. And uh, he would just go like, bam, bam, bam. He would get the shots, come back when everybody's still taking cameras out and he would get the shots like National Geographic style. So I would really recommend him. Maybe he's not really the style for your uh, podcast, but maybe you can do some exceptions sometimes, you know, to expose people, their listeners to something else. Oh, definitely. So Jer Jeremy Woodhouse would be my recommendation. Uh, he's based in Dallas, in Texas, but he's actually English by origin. He, I don't think he ever lived in England, but <laughs> he's English. He's proud on his British passport. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, cool, man. How can people learn more about uh, PhotoHound and what you've been up to and your tours? Well, it's quite easy because if they Google my name, only me will show up. <laughs> Luckily, I'm the only true. person with this name. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, uh, people can check photohound.co. We didn't get C-O-M, but C-O. Uh, and my workshops are uh, can be found on esencoworkshops.com. Cool. That's, uh, that's my company for workshops. Awesome. Well, Luca, this has been really fun. And uh, thank you for hanging in there and answering the tough questions about PhotoHound. And I, I wish you um, a lot of success with that. Thank you, Matt, uh, and I appreciate your uh, questions because this is something we really need to know how to answer and need to think how to address issues we were discussing. And uh, I would actually use this opportunity at the end of this podcast uh, to ask for help if people have ideas how we can implement this responsible photography in a better way. We are really all ears and we appreciate every positive criticism and everything. Awesome. That I think that's a great that's a great idea and and I'm I, I know at least a few listeners who will probably send you an email, so <laughs> they're not shy. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that, yes. Awesome. Well thanks, man. All right, uh, Matt. Thank you and uh, well, good night here from Slovenia. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Luca, for joining us on the show. I had a really great time talking to you about your new photo app and how it can hopefully make a positive difference in the world of photo location sharing. 
We've come to the end of our our Landscape Conservation Award timeline of receiving nominations, and we're going to be reaching out to our judges and get that award announced here soon. I just wanted to do one last thank you to our to our award sponsors, including Shimoda Designs, Read Art and Imaging, Tamron, Viewbug, and QT Luang. Uh, thank you all for your support of this award. I really appreciate it. And uh, Luca just informed me he's also going to help out the winner of the award by donating a lifetime membership to PhotoHound to the winner of the award. So thank you so much, Luca. I really appreciate that. Also, in 2020, we are going to do a little incentive to get some people to join us over on Patreon. Luca has announced that he's going to um, provide anyone who joins over on Patreon uh, from the beginning of 2020 uh, to the end of January 2020. Uh, We're going to give anyone who joins up a your membership to PhotoHound. Thank you so much, Luca. Really appreciate that. Uh, so uh, if you needed a reason to, to join us on Patreon, now you've got it. one more reason. We've, we Just tonight, we did a really fun uh, Google Hangout with some of our Patreon supporters at the $20 a month level, which was a lot of fun. And uh, I just really appreciate all of you guys for supporting the show. We can't do it without you, so thank you so much. Um, I'm going to keep it really short this week. So uh, excited for who we got coming up next week. We have our really fun panel conversation uh, all about photo education and creativity with Guy Tal and Suzanne Mathia and David Cobb and Sean Bagshaw and Alex Noriega. That's going to be a really fun episode. We also have uh, Royce Bear coming up. We have Toby Harriman, Michael Strickland, Jerry Greer, uh, Nikki Rausch, Christian Fletcher, Brenda Tharp. We've got a really fun lineup coming to you in January, so stay, stay tuned. Thanks for tuning in, listening, and we'll see you next week.